I'm going to do something a little different today than we normally do. I'm going to read through our whole text, and then we'll pray, and then we will kind of dissect the text. We aren't going to go through the whole chapter today, just a few verses. So let's read. John chapter 2, are you there? You with me? On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they had and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to do, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of holding your word in our laps. The, the breath of God inspired by the spirit of God that we might understand your truth and that that truth would set us free. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to fill us with joy. I pray, God, that as we study your word now, that our hearts and lives would be changed today by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that uh, as we head toward the communion table at the end of the message, Lord, that, that our hearts would be well prepared for that moment, Lord, the, that really the highlight of this church service, that we can commune with you. And so we pray that this text would, would till the soil of our heart, that you would prepare us, God, for that encounter. Lord, I pray that you would help me to rightly divide your word. It's so easy for me to make mistakes, Lord. I desire not to lead anyone to the left or to the right, you know, astray in any way. Help me by the power of your spirit to speak plainly and clearly the truth of God. Lord, we love you. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Jesus is public ministry is now beginning. And we saw last week this dude, John the Baptist, proclaiming. And I like it because there's exclamation points, so I get to yell. <laughs> Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You can't say that quietly. And his life, John, successful in ministry, he diminishes as Jesus begins to begins his public ministry. And so he 
As we saw last week, his disciples, John's disciples, leaves John and, and goes toward Jesus and becomes Jesus' disciples. And then we saw at the end of the chapter this beautiful encounter with Nathaniel. Jesus, I saw you. I saw you sitting under the tree. I saw you, and I want that relationship with you. I want that intimacy with you and, and, and uh, cries to our heart as well because Jesus wants to be with us. And so now it says on the third day, verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to that wedding. Now what we need to understand about this wedding feast is it's very different than what you and I see. It's very, we, we, we spend an afternoon maybe at a wedding feast, a, a wedding celebration. All this preparation goes into a couple hours. Back in those days, this was the party. This was, this was the, the, the thing to go on. A, a wedding feast lasted seven days. And it wasn't just family. It wasn't just a few friends that would show up. The whole town would come together. And so Cana is at this party. They're, 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 they're celebrating the wedding of, of two people. We don't know who they were, but they're, they're, they're celebrating Jesus. I like this. As he's beginning his public ministry, he's like, well, guys, let's go. Let's go to the party. Let's go, let's go celebrate this wedding feast with these people. And he, in essence, as he begins his ministry, is, is placing his stamp of approval upon the idea of matrimony, the idea of, of, of being wed together. And we understand as Christians, those of us that are married, we, we, the, the relationship that we have with our spouse is, first of all, it's a beautiful thing, but according to Ephesians chapter 5, we we are on display that my me and my bride we 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 are an example to the world around us of the relationship between Jesus and his bride his bride being you and I his bride being the church and so we have the opportunity to display that to the world and Jesus at the beginning he's like I'm putting my stamp of approval on this. We're going to the wedding feast. I like that his first miracle uh, that he performs was at a wedding. He's, he's in essence saying, hey, you know what? We're beginning a new work here. We're starting a new covenant. New things are happening. And in that new thing, in that new covenant, there's going to be a new relationship. And that relationship is between me, Jesus says, and, the, and my bride. The bride of Christ is the church. And so he, he demonstrates that by going to the wedding. But at the wedding, there's a, there's a little problem. There's a, there's a bit of an issue. They, uh, they didn't plan so well. They, uh, oops, they, they ran out of wine. Verse 3, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Well, Okay, what's the big deal? Well, in that day, the, as you plan for a wedding, this was, was a big deal. Like I said, the whole town would come and, and they would make big plans to make sure that everybody was well cared for. They would document everything. They would figure out exactly how much they needed. And if, that they fell short with the amount of wine they needed, that would, that would be a, 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 a stigma against that family for the rest of their lives there in that town. Oh, there they are. That's the family that doesn't know how to throw a party. 
That's the one they didn't plan well. They didn't, they, they came up short in the wine and they would carry that for the rest of their lives there. And so Mary is getting involved. And why Mary's getting involved, Jesus' mom, it's not real clear, but my guess would be that maybe she was part of the planning. Maybe this was a, a, a family wedding that they were attending. Some would suggest that this was actually John the Apostle's wedding. I don't know if that's the case or not. But if that were the case, then Mary may have well, as an aunt of John the Apostle, may have very well been um, one of the hostesses. And so she sees, oh, this isn't good, guys. We're out of wine. How are we gonna, how are we gonna bless these people? And, and, and we understand that as we study the Word of God, anytime it talks about wine, it's a symbol for you and I. It's the symbol of joy. Okay, so when we read about wine, it's that joy. And, and so they understood that as well. And they would say, a wedding feast that ran out of wine, what's that say about the marriage? They're not going to have a whole lot of joy. And so then even the, the, the wedding would be like, or the, the, the marriage would be, well, you know, they, they ran out of wine. They're going to run out of joy at some point. And so Mary gets involved. It's like, uh, they've run out of wine. Now Jesus responds as he's at the wedding. He says in verse 4, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now that's interesting, the way he replies. He doesn't sit there and go, Ah, Mom, it's not my time yet. Like your kid would. (laughs) I don't want to take a bath. He doesn't even address her as mother. Interesting enough, he says woman. And in that, in that, as he's beginning his public ministry, I think he's making a statement to her to say, Hey, I've been under the shadow of your wing these whole, all these years. And I appreciate all that you've done for me. But now is my time. Now I'm beginning my public ministry. And so, woman, it's not a, a term of disrespect in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it's a very respectful term to call her that. But he doesn't say mom. He doesn't say mother. Just simply woman. Um, my hour's not yet come. It's not time for for me to shine yet. And of course, that hour he was speaking of is the hour that he would be lifted up. And he, as he says, as I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That hour is coming about three years from now when he's crucified. But right now he's like, I don't need the limelight. I don't want the limelight. I'm not here to be the center of attention. And in that, you kind of have to think about Mary for a second. And why, why would she press at this point? Why? Why is she trying to get Jesus to, to do this? And you, what you have to understand is she, she may be hoping, she may be pressing for her vindication. You see, all her life she's heard, oh, you're the one. You're, you're the one that had the, the bastard son, the, the child out of wedlock. And she was looked upon in shame for her whole life because she carried this stigma. And so, 30 years go by. She's waiting, hoping. See, the the Scriptures tell us she knew who Jesus was. She knew that He was the Son of God. But what does it say about what she did with that information? She kept it in her heart. She treasured it in her heart. And so, all the while, every day I would imagine, she's waking up. Is today the day? 
Is, is to, as we wait for our adoption, is today the day? Every day you wake up and you think, is today the day? Maybe Mary's thinking that. Is today the day that he gets lifted up, that he gets into the limelight, and I get my vindication? And I get my name cleansed? And so maybe she's, she's pressing to say, let's go, Jesus, I've been waiting a long time. And he says, my hour's not yet come. You know, what's interesting in that, he's still going to perform the miracle, but he does it in such a way that he doesn't take the limelight, and we'll see that here in a little bit, so that he's not necessarily glorified at this point. But he still honors his mom. He still performs the miracle. Verse 5, so it begins, His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. I love that. So Mary, probably one of the hostesses here is like, hey, you guys, over here, now, he's going to tell us to do something. Whatever he tells you, do it. Know what's so cool about that phrase? Know what's so cool about that phrase? That's the last words of Mary in the Gospels. That's the last thing she says, as recorded in the Word of God. That is awesome. Because with her last words, last words recorded, it's all about him. I want to point my life to him. Mary, just like John the Baptist. You and I, we have Catholic friends, I know you do, who unfortunately have taken Mary and exalted her to a place of worship. And I don't think Mary would have wanted that as you look at the last thing she says. She fades into the background. She, she takes a step back. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Just like John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Good words for you and I. May we listen to that advice of, of Mary. Hey, whatever he tells you, do it. Do it. May we obey the words of our Savior. And so now he says, in verse six, all right, we're gonna we're gonna make some wine here. He looks around the room and he says, "Okay, now there were there now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece." Jesus said to them, "Fill the water pots with water," and they filled them up to the brim. Okay, so he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. You guys need wine? Go take these pots that are sitting here for purification's sake. They would do that at a wedding feast in case there were something impure that were to happen at the party. At the end of the seven days, they would go through the purification process. Six pots, all about, probably about this high, somewhere right in there, pretty big around. Six of them all lined up. Hey, go fill those. Fill them with water. Now, what I need to do, and probably what you should do too, is, hey, put your feet in the shoes of these servants for a second. That's 180, 120 to 180 gallons of water. They don't have the spigot and the hose that they can just go and drop the hose in and walk away. They have to go get the water. That might take some time <laughs> to get 180 gallons of water. You try that. You go home this afternoon and, and, and take a cup or a bucket even and, 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 you know, turn on your sink, fill up the bucket, take it over, dump it in the, in the bathtub and do that again until you've passed 180 gallons. It's going to take a, a little while. And were it me putting myself into the, the, the servant's shoes, at some point I would be what? 
What are we doing? We need wine. What? Why? What is this about? And they keep moving the water. What is he doing? Why are we doing this? What? What's going on here? If we take the... This doesn't make sense. We need wine here. We're filling water. But the scripture, there's no indication of the way my heart would be. The servants are like, they took Mary's word. Whatever he says, do it. Fill it with water? Okay. And what does it say? They aren't half-hearted about it at all, are they? Say They fill it to the brim. You ever done that with a glass? You get it really, you know, set it on something pretty solid and, and, uh, you, 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 I don't know, I'm goofy. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's ever done this, but you fill it up to the point where it's right at the crest and you start adding little drops and, and it actually, the water bubbles just slightly above the top of the glass. It creates this meniscus over the top of it. And then, you know, if you have somebody bumps the table or, or if you add one too many drops, it goes everywhere. But that's the, the image I get. They fill these six pots. Just to, they're, they're absolutely, completely, entirely filled. That's a good example for you and I, isn't it? Why don't we take what God has told us to do and act like they acted They didn't ask questions. They didn't wonder what was going on. They were just simply obedient and not that, not half-hearted in it. Oh, fill it with water, whatever. We'll fill it halfway and then hopefully that'll be enough. And they didn't understand what was going to happen. They didn't know that this was going to become the wine. They didn't see the result. They were just being obedient. May you and I do that as well with all of our heart, with everything that we have. Fill what God has given us to the brim. And trust that He will produce the results in our lives. What have you and I been commanded to do, church? What are we to be about? Go, therefore, into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Jesus says, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. We have received the commandment to fill the water pots. How are you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing? Are we filling it to the brim? Are we giving it everything that we have without grumbling, without complaining? Are we leveraging all that we have so that the pots might be filled so that God might have an opportunity to work? And recognize, one thing we need to recognize as a church, as, as, as the people of God, the best of our ability, if we give everything we have, if we leverage all that we have, will fall short. The work of God cannot be accomplished in the strength of man. The work of God cannot be accomplished in the strength of man. We can fill the water pots to the brim, but God is the one that has to turn the water into wine. God is the one that has to perform the miracle. And so we leverage everything we have, we fill the pots, and then we step back and we say, Lord, it's yours now. It's yours. Perform the miracle. I was reading, I was studying this week. I love Charles Spurgeon. They call him the Prince of Preachers. The dude is just eloquent, way more than me. He said it really, really well. I want to read to you a paragraph here. 
Speaking of the principle of us giving everything that we have, filling the pots to the best of our ability, and trusting that God will do the work, he says, further, in order to apply this principle, be sure to remember, when you have done all that you can do, that there is a great deficiency in all that you have done. It is well to come away from a tract distributing and Sunday school teaching and preaching and go home and get on your knees and cry. Lord, I have done all that thou hast commanded me, and yet there is nothing done unless thou givest the finishing touch. Lord, I have filled the water pots, and though I could only fill them with water, yet I have filled them to the brim. Lord, to the best of my ability, I have sought to win men for thyself. There cannot be a soul saved. There cannot be a soul saved, a child converted, or any glory brought to thy name by what I have done in and of itself. But, my master, speak the miracle-working word and let the water which fills the vessels blush into wine. Thou canst do it, though I cannot. I cast the burden upon thee. I can give it everything I've got. I can leverage all that I have, my time, my talent, my treasure, all for the glory of God. But if God doesn't breathe on it, it's just a work of man. We, we need Him. We need His touch. I sat through many, many, many prayer meetings with Pastor Dave. And almost every time we prayed, he, say, he would say, Lord, we need Your Holy Spirit. We cannot imitate it. We cannot duplicate it. And that's so true. We, we need a genuine work of the Holy Spirit in this room and in this place and in our hearts. Otherwise, it's just simply a work of man. Otherwise, all we have is water. So may we trust Him for the results as their servants did. So they've got the pots filled. Verse 8. He said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Again, Boggles my mind disobedience, or I'm sorry, not disobedience, obedience, forgive me. Boggles my mind obedience. I don't know when the water turned to wine. I wonder about that. Okay, take some to the master. So they dip their ladle in. Is it still water at that point? Is it wine at this point? Do they know it's wine at this point? Do they know what's going on? I wonder. I'm guessing no. I'm guessing they still had to walk in faith. And right now, the servant with the, with the ladle in his hand is going, I'm, I'm about to give water to our master. Uh, they're looking for wine. I'm, I'm going to be in the unemployment line pretty soon here. But they're faithful, and they do it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servant who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. And so there, in that little section, we see where Jesus is not taking the limelight. How do we know that? Because the master had no idea how this happened. 
He does not know from where it came, though the servant knew. And so I imagine Jesus just in the back room with all the servants hanging out. Hey, go take that up there. It's all, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You, you go do it. Okay. And he goes and does it and, and just fades into the background. This isn't my hour. My hour has not yet come. And so it, it, it's not for me to be glorified at this point. The master doesn't know. But the master tastes it. The master of the, of the, the ceremony tastes it. Oh, where, where did you get this? This is good stuff. And this is no indication of alcohol level or anything like that. Don't twist that into these scriptures. This was the primo wine. This was the good stuff. And, and he says, you, you, got, you, you got it backwards. You, you normally, you bring out the good stuff first. And that way, when, as people, you know, taste the good stuff, they, they enjoy that and then they get a little intoxicated and then it doesn't matter if you, you know, bring out the junk. But you, you, you did it the other way. The, the latter wine is better than the earlier wine. Well, isn't that just like Jesus? Isn't that just the way He is? The latter is better than the first. We, we see many examples of that. Just as, as we're reading now, John. John the Baptist comes preaching the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the, and, and the one that's coming after me, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. This of the man born of woman, no man greater born of woman than this man, John the Baptist. And he's the one that says, hey, I've got this thing going on right now, but there's something coming down the pike that's even better. The, the wine that's coming, that's even better. I, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And so John diminishes. He, he says, I, I come and I baptize you with water for repentance sake, John does. And he says of Jesus, he comes baptizing you not with water. It'd be really cool if he baptized with wine right now just for the sake of my sermon, but he, that's not what he says. He says, Jesus comes and baptizes you with the Spirit and with fire. Now what's cool about that is as the symbol of wine, or wine is rather a symbol of joy, Jesus comes not with water, but with the Spirit and John chapter 10 tells us, I've come that they might have life and life more abundantly. I've come that they might have joy. I want to fill their hearts with joy. And so I fill their hearts with the Spirit of God. And they will be filled with joy. So John with water, Jesus with the Spirit. The, the latter wine, quote unquote, is better. We see it with, in, 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 in chapter 1, verse 17, where, where he said, Moses came bringing the law, I come bringing grace and truth. Or Jesus came bringing, I can't remember exactly the phrasing there, grace and, and truth, or grace and mercy, one of those two. I, think about the beginning of Moses' ministry as, he's, as the people are coming out of um, the Exodus, as they're coming out of Egypt. They've got the ten plagues going on. Think about the ten plagues for a second. Recall what happened? What did Moses do? Moses turned water into blood. Moses turned water into blood as a symbol of, of judgment, as a symbol of, of this is going down, and eventually the last of the plagues, the death angel came and wiped him out. Jesus comes, begins a new covenant. He doesn't turn water into blood. He turns water into joy water into wine. 
The latter is better than the earlier. And it even said, and we, we've mentioned this before, that as we study the Word of God and as we have the Old Testament, as the law came through Moses, you and I, we don't find life in the law. We don't live by the law. We die by it. The law and the intent and the purpose of the law, Romans would tell us, is so that we might see our sin. We die by the law of Moses. Measure your life up against the Ten Commandments. You've broken every one. You're over. Okay? So am I. We die by the law. But Jesus comes and says, I'm going to come in that they might have life. And so in His new work, in His new way, in Him bringing the Spirit, in Him bringing the joy of, of the wine, we have life. The Old Testament, the, the old way, Moses' way, we had law. In, in Christ, we have grace. And in that grace, joy. And so Jesus turns the water to wine. This, verse 11 says, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. So, all the while Jesus is doing this miracle, he's got his posse hanging out behind the scenes with him. His disciples now, they're just, you know, brand new walking with him just for a couple of days and, and they've committed to walking with him, but they see this. They're like, oh, you, oh, you, 180 gallons of water now, wine? Oh, I'm with you, Jesus. I, I, you got me. Hook, line, and sinker. And that's what it says. They, they, they believed in him. They, they said, I'm with you. Whatever you. Wherever we're going, we're going together, Jesus. I am your shadow. And they, and they spend the next three years with him at the beginning of his earthly ministry. He takes water at a wedding feast. He turns it into wine. That Others might have joy. That others may come to enjoy all that He has given. And three years go by. And on the night that He was betrayed, He raises a cup. A cup of joy. And He says, this is my blood poured out for the remission of sin that all who might believe might have life. His, his earthly ministry marked with this symbol of joy, the, the beginning and the end. And Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. I'm willing to go through this, He says. I'm willing to take this, this, this pouring out of God's wrath that others might have the joy that I have found in a relationship with Christ, or in a relationship with God the Father, Jesus says. And so he, he pours out His blood that you and I might taste the joy of living for Him. And so we come to the table, to the life giver, to the, to the joy giver. And He invites us to come. Be filled with joy. All right. So we're going to get ready for, for communion now. Just some, some instruction, if you would. As we come to the table, understand that this is a, an invitation 
for those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. He invites us as children of God to come and partake in of these elements. So what that means is if you're in this room and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your, as He is your Savior, I would ask for your benefit that you don't partake of these elements. The Word would say there, there comes a, a judgment against you if you do wrongly. So, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, allow me to extend an invitation so that you can join us at the table. What we need to recognize and what those of us who are saved have recognized is that me and my own strength and all that I can do fall desperately short of the perfection of God. That my sin separates me from an, a perfect God who, who exacts perfection, who requires perfection. And so in my sin and in our sin, we recognize then, well, I can't do it on myself. I have a need. And that need is for somebody to do it for me. And that's what Jesus has done. He absorbed the wrath poured out on the cross that you and I might have life. If you believe that, then what you need to say, it's a simple prayer. Lord, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that I have fallen short. I have a need for a Savior. Jesus, I see that you have become that Savior for me. I accept the work that you have done. Please forgive me of my sins. And may I walk out my days knowing you. Pray that prayer. Accept Jesus. Allow Him to change your heart, to change your life, to change your destination for eternity. For like Chuck said, I haven't died, I've just moved. Accept Him now. Lord, our heart, I pray that our hearts would be like that of the servants in our story for today, that we would go forth in, in, in all that You have commanded us to do, preaching the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be filling the pots that You have given us to the brim, and that we would be trusting You for the results, O oh God. Pour out Your Spirit upon us as Your church, God, as Your bride. Lord, we know there's a day coming when we will sit at the celebration, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we will sit to you see You face to face and You will raise the cup again, this cup of joy, because in that moment, our joy will be made complete. Ah, oh, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. Until that hour, may we be faithful. Continue to pour out Your Spirit upon this church, Lord. We need You here. Holy Spirit, we need You now. May we reflect Your glory. May we shine brightly for You in this dark world. May we take all that You have commanded us and live wholeheartedly for You. In Jesus' name, Amen.